0: Studies consistently show, and my observation consistently is, and statistics are continually showing us, that even as the video you saw a few minutes ago reported, that most all of our churches, not just Baptist churches, most all Christian churches, in a time of unbelievable technological advance, in a time where material is more available than ever, in a time where prosperity has never been so high as a nation the church is suffering. The church is suffering numerically. The church is suffering financially. The church is suffering with influence on the, on the culture. And we live in a time of a very turbulent culture. Have you noticed that or am I just the only one? You've noticed things are just tumultuous. And if you go back and look over history, you'll find that there are those times in history Regularly. We don't see it that often because it's a generational thing. It it took place in the 40s and the 50s. It took place at the turn of the the 1900s. It took place in, 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 in the 1850s. There are these turbulent times in culture where you have a clash of technology. You have a clash of population growth. You have a clash of young people rising up and not wanting to do things the way their mom and daddy used to do them. You know how that feels, right? And all of that takes place, and the church seeking to be the church sometimes is playing catch-up sometimes the church being the church is 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 to be isolated sometimes the church being the church uh, motivates us to to adapt to the culture with the unchanging word of the scripture which the choir sang about so beautifully today my observation and i think surveys and studies will show that the era and the time in which we're now living is a time of, of, of turmoil in our culture, a time of turmoil in our church. And it's a time where, where many believers are expressing that they don't feel especially confident in their Christian life. They don't feel especially confident in their, in their Christian walk. They don't feel especially confident in their Bible knowledge. And so we're looking here at Rich Crest, We don't want to be a declining church. Amen? We don't want to be a a church in turmoil, Amen? amen? We want to be a church that is growing in our faith, right? A church that is reaching our community. A church that is taking the gospel, yes, to the ends of the earth, but also to the end of the street and around the block. That's the kind of church that we feel like God has put us here to be. And so with that thought in mind, how the church is doing overall, the church that we feel like God is calling us to be, we have, have, have come up with, among our church leadership, a three-week focus. that We're starting today. We were supposed to start it last week, which is why your bulletin is out of sync today. A little, little techno glitch there. But we were supposed to start last week, but because of the hurricane, we bumped it to start today. So starting today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some foundational Christian truths with the intent that on one hand, it'll be a great reminder for you and for me of truth that we already know. But on the other hand, it'll be a great encouragement and hopefully a motivation for those in our midst who may feel like they're not especially confident in these areas of of their spiritual life. And if that happens to be you today, I say hallelujah, praise the Lord. Listen, catch up, hold on, and allow God to take you two or three steps further than where you are right now. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and your blessings. We thank you for good reports of hurricane relief in the midst and face of disaster that has struck our coast, and that we can meet those needs in Jesus' name. We thank your Heavenly Father for a video that reminds us that we are to pray that you might move in and through us to reach our community, that we might be the people that you've called us to be, the church that you've called us to be, recognizing and asking the question that is asked in Scripture, who is my neighbor? Who are those around me that need Jesus? We thank your Heavenly Father for a choir and for Bill and for Shirley who were able to, in spite of a technology glitch, able to lead us to lift our voice and our attention up towards you. We thank your Heavenly Father for each one gathered here today and we pray that we would each bring with us a hunger and a thirst to know you, to walk with you, to live for you, to allow Jesus to so permeate our lives that you would spill out into every circumstance we find ourselves in. Lord, today I pray that you would give to us a great sense of Bible confidence. Confidence in the Bible as your word, and then confidence with the Bible as we live for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about developing more of a Bible confidence, a confidence in the Bible and Mark, uh, who, who's running the slides up there? Bill, you're running the slides. Just know I'm out of whack today. So just uh, just like with the choir, just kind of bear with me. Look at where I'm at and, uh, and and plug along. So if anything's wrong on the screen, just blame me for that. So so we're gonna look this morning. One of the verses is at Second 2 Timothy, two fifteen in the Bible, which reminds us: Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or rightly dividing. The word of truth. We're called to understand and to take the scripture that we have and be able to handle it in right ways, in good ways, in productive ways that will help us in our walk with Christ. And so scripture reminds us to grow in Bible knowledge. We've been looking at that out of 2 Timothy, I mean 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And today I want to point out the first verse and the last verse of that chapter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1 says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. The thing I love about First and 2 Peter is Peter's writing to, to, to believers. They're spread out everywhere, and he's writing to believers. And he says at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end, he says, Now the purpose of my writing is to remind you of what you already know and then he says it like this, you'll notice there in verse 1, to stir you up, to stir up what you already know. It's like a, 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 like, like, a, like sediment at the bottom of, 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 a, of a glass of water. If all the sediment falls to the bottom and you drink out of the top, you're not going to taste whatever's in there. But if you stir it up, it all gets mixed in there. And so Peter is saying to you and I, he's saying, I want to stir you up to remember what you already know so that it can impact your life for the gospel. And then he ends his letter, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, with these words. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And if you look at that verse of Scripture where it says grow, that word grow is a continual present tense. So we would better understand it in English as it was written in Greek. If we were to say, but continually grow, continually be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Never let there be a time in your spiritual life where you come to the place where you think, well, I've read that, I've been there, I've done that. I know enough already. That should never take place in any of our Christian lives. Continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Back during the days of the Reformation, about 501 years ago, as a matter of fact, Martin Luther uh, wrote these words. Let the man who would hear God speak read holy scripture. Would you read that with me? Let the man who would hear God speak read holy scripture. He goes on to say, The Bible is a remarkable fountain. The more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. And then he says, The devil, the world, and our flesh are raging and raving against us. Therefore, pray, read, study, be diligent. I like that. Pray, read, study, be diligent. The Scripture itself reminds us to continually be growing in our faith. The Reformers down through the, the history, not just Martin Luther, but many others, have written similar words that to, to, to say to pray, to pray, to read, to study, to repeat, to be diligent about knowing what the Scripture says to us. Let me share with you some some verses out of the Bible that relate to this. Psalm 19.7 reminds us that the law of the Lord is perfect. That's another name for the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect. Notice what it does, reviving the soul. Anybody here today, your soul could use some reviving, stirring up, being reminded of how great and awesome God is. Psalm 119 and verse 9 asks the question, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? The word of God inspires and encourages and equips us towards moral purity. Ephesians 5.17 reminds us to take the sword of the spirit, our offensive spiritual weapon, which is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, uh, equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, somewhere about the middle of your Bible. Uh, a, little, a little bit about Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses comprise one chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 was written by the psalmist as a prayer and also as a poem. And it is written as an acrostic poem using the Hebrew alphabet. If you were uh, fluent in Hebrew you'd be able to take each of those sections and notice that throughout Psalm 119, uh, each section has a different Hebrew letter at the beginning of each word of that section. And so so it's a very beautiful poem written as a tribute to the Word of God as our authority, as our foundation, as our motivation for life, and as great encouragement to us. Now, instead of reading all 176 verses, amen, amen? We're going to focus on... Would you stand with me? Psalm 119, we're going to read verses 30 through 32, and I want to uh, ask you to read them out loud with me. You have your Bible in your hand. The words are also going to be on the screen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 30. Read with me. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Just three verses out of 176, and we're going to gain some knowledge from these verses this morning in the brief time that we have that I hope will encourage you and I both in Bible confidence. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are so good. And you've been so faithful to us by giving us your word that we might cling to it and learn from it and hold on to it and obey it and apply it and gain great benefit from it and also, Lord, to share it with others. Take the few moments that we have this morning. Take our time tonight of a growth intensive. Use it for your glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So the question for today, how can I become more confident with the Bible? Hopefully, if you've been to your connect group already, or maybe you're going to your connect group after the worship service here, when you get there, you'll understand and study some ways about the Scripture and the value of Scripture. I hope you'll plan to come back tonight at 5 as we have our first growth intensive dealing with Bible confidence. Uh, We've got some information we'll be sharing. We're also going to be having a panel discussion from some folks throughout the church, and how we uh, would deal with the Bible, how we can, can, can encourage you in your walk with the Lord uh, with the Bible. So I hope you'll plan to be here tonight at, uh, at 5 o'clock for that. So how can I become more confident with the Bible? Here's, here's an answer. I can become more confident with the Bible as I experience God's Word. As I experience and engage God's Word, I will become more confident with it. So I'm going to take these three verses this morning and I'm going to pull out six ways that we can experience God's Word and increase our Bible confidence. Six ways we can do that. The first, I want you to notice here in verse 30, the first way is to choose God's Word. There's a choice that we have to make. And the choice that the Bible calls us to make is that we would choose to take God's Word and identify it as God's Word and apply it as God's Word and use it as God's Word. I want you to notice what he says in verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Now the way of faithfulness, that's another way, another description of the Bible, God's Word. And the psalmist here says, that's my choice. Of all the choices out there concerning who's going to be the authority in my life, I'm going to choose the way of faithfulness. I'm going to choose God's Word as my authority in life. Bill Bright, who is the head of Campus Crusade, made this statement in 1968. He says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And that's one of many different ways this sentiment is expressed, and that is that all of us in our soul are hungry for God. All of us within ourselves are, are reaching out for something beyond ourselves to find meaning. The psalmist said, I'm going to choose God's Word as my avenue in which to find meaning. I'll call your attention, you don't have to turn there, but in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, is in, uh, is in Greece and, and he is engaging with the, the, uh, the, the elite of the day academically. They're not believers. They're not followers of Christ. But, but he's trying to engage with them to share with them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 22, starting in verse 22 of Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Now listen to this, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Notice what he's saying here. He's in Athens, and, and none, none of the people there are godly. They're, they're, they're religious, but they don't know the one true God through Jesus Christ. And he's looking for an avenue to share the gospel with them. And he says, I saw this, I saw this marker. I saw this, this idol. I saw this statue somewhere that says this is an altar to the unknown God. Just in case we missed one in all the hundreds and thousands that we've, we've identified, in case there's one we missed, here's, an, here's a, a, a statue to an unknown God. And Paul says to them, that which you think is unknown is actually the only God. And it's the only creator. And He is why we're here. And he is, he is calling us to search for Him because He is close and He wants us to find Him. There's a hunger in our soul. There's, a, there's an anchor for our soul. And the psalmist said, my anchor is put in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, uh, in Ecclesiastes... In the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time and has put eternity into man's heart. Because all of us know there's something beyond ourselves that compels us to look beyond ourselves for meaning and purpose in life. The psalmist said, I find that in the Word of God. I'm staking my claim. My choice is to follow God. But, but, but the Scripture and, and throughout history makes it very clear. People are always searching for God. Augustine said to the Lord, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. You see, we each make a choice about the Bible. And in fact, there are four basic choices you and I can make about the Bible. And I hope you'll make the godly choice, but among the choices we can make, one of them is that we can choose to believe the Bible. We can accept that the Bible is God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So we can accept the fact that the Bible is God's Word. And as we do, we can know that it it is Him speaking to us. If I want to have confidence in the Bible and confidence in God, I can know that He speaks to me through the pages of the Scripture. But also, there's another choice I can make, and that is to reject God's Word. I can say the Bible is just a book among books. It is made up of, of the writings of men. It, it is just, it is just a, a, a one person's or, or one philosophy of religion among many different ones out there. Who's to say what's right? Who's to say what's wrong? In fact, there are those that would reject the Bible and say, there is no God, therefore there is no word from God. There is no word of God. You can choose to reject the Bible. In fact, the Bible makes it clear about these kind of people. In in, uh, uh, in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. And yet there are those who do make that choice. They say that there is no God. There is no scripture. There is no word from God. Another avenue uh, that's available, you can choose not only to believe it or reject it, you can also choose to distort it. There are those who take the scripture that we hold on to and that we base our life upon and they take some of the concepts and they add to them and some of the concepts and they take away from them. They distort the word so that it says something completely different than the original message that was there. There are those like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons that do exactly that with the pages of scripture. And then a fourth choice that you and I have to make, or that everybody has to make, concerning the Bible, and that is to replace God's Word. There are those who say, well, you know, the Bible is a book about religion, but I don't believe the Bible, I'm going to believe this instead. Other religions have their sacred writings, and and they would hold that their writings are are true, and they would hold that the Bible uh, is is not true. So so you can believe it, you can uh, uh, distort it, you can reject it, or you can replace it. But the psalmist said, I choose God's word. The psalmist said, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Why had he chosen the way of faithfulness? Because it had been, uh, it had been taught to him. He had put it into practice in his life. And he has said, among all the things out there, I choose to follow after God. Well, a second uh, way that we can experience God's word is, is we find also in verse 30. And that is to prioritize it. To prioritize God's word in our life. To to make it not just a book on a shelf or a book on a table or something we occasionally look at and glance through or or something we might might read every once in a while, but to prioritize it as the most important source of information in our lives. You know, for some folks, the most important source of information is the Internet. Now we know if it's on the Internet, it's got to be what? It's got to be true, right? For other people, it's watching the news on TV. They live and die by the news on TV. For other people, it's, it's what's happening with their sports team or what's happening in their in their neighborhood circle or, or what's happening w- among their friend group. There, there, there are lots of, of, of avenues that we have to prioritize things in our life. But the psalmist said in verse 30, I set your rules before me. That word rules is, is another word for the Word of God. He's saying, Lord, I have taken the things you've given me, the rules that, that you've laid forth, and I set them before me. This word before me uh, ha- has really two connotations. One, is I've set them before me as if you're sitting at a table and you open the Bible and you set the Bible before you on the table. Well, what does that indicate? That indicates that it is there that you can open its pages, you can read its words, and it is there before you. But it also has another connotation of of being over you. I've set your rules before me. In other words, before it gets to me, I'm going to follow what you have to say. I've set the Bible over me in authority. Not just in front of me so that I can read it, but over me in authority. Something that I love to do, uh, and I've done from time to time even here, and that is to say our pledge to the Bible. You ever said the pledge to the Bible? Take your Bible and hold it up in the air. We'll just do that together real quick. Can you do that? I know I've just messed up your notes and you know, all those things like that. That's okay. So while we're holding our Bible, repeat these words. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. God's, God's, holy God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. I will hide His words in my heart. heart. That I might not sin against God. God. Amen. Amen. So we take our Bible and like the psalmist, we prioritize it. And we say this is going to be the priority because it is going to be before me so that I can read it. And over me so that I can obey it and follow it. There's a third way that we can experience God's word. And that is in verse 31. We can hang on to it. We can hang on to God's Word. Notice in verse 31, the psalmist writes, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. A couple of words that are important here. One is testimonies. The, the, the Bible here is called a testimony. A testimony is when one person tells of their own personal experience. And so the Bible is the testimony of God. It is God's revelation of Himself to us. And the psalmist acknowledges as that. God, your, your word, the Bible, it is your testimony to me. So I'm going to cling to it or I'm going to hold on to it. That word cling is to hold on with all your might. There's a, there's a picture we might draw here of Velcro. It's a, I'm going to Velcro the word of God to my life. I'm going to hold on to it. Another, another picture we might draw recently uh, from the hurricane would be a picture of, of the hurricane blowing through. And, and, and so you want to make sure that you're not going to be moved and you're not going to be blown off course. So, so you take a rope and you latch yourself to a light pole or to a tree, hoping it's not going to blow the tree over. But you latch yourself to the tree so that the storm will not move you. You're, you the, the psalmist here is saying, I'm going to cling to the Word of God. And the connotation is, so that when the storms of life come, I'm going to be able to hold on, hold firm, hold fast, and I'm going to be who God has called me to be. In 2 Peter 3.17, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. See, there are a lot of forces out there, not, not physical hurricanes, but there are a lot of spiritual forces out there that are seeking to knock us off of the stable place that we have as we stand on the promises, as we sang saying about earlier. As we stand on those promises, we're stable. But there's a lot of forces looking to knock us off. And so the, the psalmist here is saying, I'm going to hang on. I'm going to cling to the testimonies of God. If you know anything in the Bible about Job, Job had a tough time. And I went through and I counted up. and I think if I, if I counted right, there were six storms that happened in Job's life that he was, not, he was not privy to all the information that was out there that we have in the Bible. But there were six storms. Some of them were, were, were brewing all at once, and they hit him like a brick out of left field somewhere. Here are those storms that Job faced. There was an unseen satanic attack that came upon Job. His children were killed. His possessions were stolen. His health was taken has anybody here ever been through a rough time? Can I get amen this morning? Amen. We've all been through a rough time. You think about what happened to Job, and I just want to sit back and be quiet. Because <laughs> Job knows what a tough time is. So, so the attack was there, the children killed, possessions stolen, his health was taken. His wife, how about his wife? The encouraging wife of Job who said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? So he had a wife that was not especially supportive. And then lastly, his friends came. And all they wound up doing was criticizing Job and calling him a religious hypocrite. Job had a rough time. And Job had a choice to make. Am I going to cling to the, to the, to the God that I know and, and who, who has created me? Am I going to cling to the God who has blessed me? Or in the face of all these difficulties, am I going to let go and just let the wind blow me around or let my, let my friends carry me in a wrong direction or, or I'm just going to, 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 to curse God and die? And what, what am I going to do? And Job says here in Job chapter 13 and verse 15, Job says, though he slay me, that's God himself, Even if God were to kill me, I'm going to hope in God. That's clinging to the testimonies of God and His Word. That's hanging on tight. It's a picture here that, you know, the Christian life, our, our, our life of faith, is not just a life of ease and it's not, it's not a life where everything just goes smooth sailing. Many Christians make the mistake of thinking, well, now that I'm a Christian, everything is going to be smooth. And if it's not smooth, then either I've sinned or I'm out of whack with God or God's not able to provide for me or God doesn't care about me. We think all these things when the reality is God allows the storms of life to come. But with the storms of life that come, He provides for us all that we need through His Word. That's why it's so important that we hang on for dear life, even when our very life is being pried from our soul. When when we are facing all the difficulties life can throw at us, we can still hang on to the Word of God. Well, the fourth way that we can experience God's Word that we see here in verse 31, and that is to depend on God's Word. To depend on it. Notice what the psalmist says there. He says, let me not be put to shame. He's saying, when I stand before you, Lord... When the the judgment comes, when I have to give an account of my life and I stand before God, Lord, let me not be ashamed of how I acted. Let me not be ashamed of how I responded. When the storm came, let me be able to say that I held on. When the choice was made, let me be able to say I chose the Word of God. When when the difficulties came and the temptations came and the trials came, let me be able to stand firm and stable and not have been knocked off my feet. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. When I stand before you, especially knowing beforehand the, the, the beautiful thing about God, and there are so many beautiful things about God, but one of the most beautiful things about God is that he tells us in advance. He tells us what happened in creation. He tells us what has happened in the past. He tells us what's going to happen in the future. He lets us know, and he lets us know one day we'll stand to give an account And when we stand to give an account, we are going to give an account of how we responded to the message of the gospel, how we responded to growing in our Christian faith, how we responded to living a faithful life that would glorify Him. It's it's kind of like a teacher in school. I I, I used to hate this. (laughs) Kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But the teacher would say, You know, in two weeks we have our exam. And the next week she'd say, Next week we have our exam. On Monday that week, she said, don't forget, on Friday, we have our exam. On Wednesday, she said, don't forget, on Friday, we have our exam. And on Friday, guess what would happen? I hadn't studied for the exam. I'm speaking on behalf of a friend. This has never happened to me. You've been like I have before. And that is in situations where even though we knew it was coming, we were not prepared. And afterwards, we were ashamed of how we acted or conducted ourselves or how we performed on a test or an examination. And the psalmist here is saying, Lord, help me to depend on your word so much and to the extent that when I stand before you, I will not be ashamed of how I acted, of how I depended on you, of how I made decisions and choices. I want to know that I have held firm. Number five, the different ways we can experience God's Word that give us confidence in the Bible. That is, in verse 32, to pursue God's Word. To pursue it. Don't just lay it to the side. Don't just put it on your shelf. Don't just stick it in your backpack or your briefcase or hang it on your wall or whatever else you might do with it besides read it. But pursue God's Word. Go after God's Word. Uh, We often uh, find things that we want to pursue and we go at them full steam. For example, there there are, are, are young people that they decide about junior high—I'm sorry, middle school, high school—somewhere in there, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a nurse, uh, I want to be an astronaut, whatever it is, and so they begin the process of pursuing that dream wholeheartedly, and so so they they go through high school and they're they're taking classes and studying hard so they can be, let's say for example, a nurse. They go to college and they major in nursing and, and so, so, so they, they go through and take all the classes and study hard so, so that at the end they'll be able to, to having pursued that degree they'll be able to now to go out and be a nurse or a doctor or a firefighter or a police officer or a teacher or whatever it might be. The psalmist here is saying in verse 32 he says I will run in the way of your commandments with my life. This is not physically this is This is an example. This is a picture, an illustration. He says, I will run in the way of your commands. I've I've found the pursuit I want to follow. And my pursuit, the the thing I'm aiming for is godliness. I want to be godly in all that I'm doing and godly in all that I am. And in doing that, I'm going to pursue it with all my heart. That's what he's saying here. Now, when you're running, I've discovered three things about running. Number one, I don't like it. That's not one of my three, but it just hit me. I, I really don't like running. But anyway, so, so, so three things about running. One is I have to focus on running when I'm running and not other things. I have found that when I, when I run, I have to focus on the fact that I'm running. If I'm focusing on making a cell phone call, it's not going to be pretty. When I'm running, I have to focus on running and, and not focus on, uh, on, on driving thinking about driving my car, where I'm going. I have to, uh, when, when I'm running, I, I, I can't focus on, on reading. I can't read a book while I'm running. You, all that makes sense, right? The psalmist said, I'm running the path of your commands. There has to be a focus on the activity for success to come. And so if I'm going to be successful running after and pursuing the Word of God, I've got to focus on it. Secondly, I've got to focus on the path. If I'm not focusing on the path I'm running in, I could get lost. I could fall, I could be injured. Bad things happen if I'm not looking where I'm going. Have you ever seen those, those, those uh, videos of people that are watching their cell phones? And like the, the one, one I like well, I hate to say I like it, but the one, I, the one I've saw I've seen that makes a big impact on me is a lady walking through the mall with her cell phone and she trips on, over the fountain and falls into the fountain in the middle of the mall. And then she gets upset because the fountain was there. If I'm not watching where I'm going, if you're not watching where you're going, we're going to trip, we're going to fall, we're going to get lost, we're going to wonder where we were. And thirdly, we have to focus on the finish line. We have to focus on the prize. We have to focus on where the destination is that we're going. We have to focus on on where we're going so that we'll get to that place. Otherwise, we'll wind up somewhere that we either don't know where it's at or somewhere we're not trying to get to. We want to focus on the destination. The psalmist said, I'm running in the path or I'm running uh, in the way of your commandments. I'm going to take the Word of God and let that be my path. I'm going to take the Word of God, let that be my destination. I'm going to take the Word of God and let that be my focus. And therefore, I, will, I know that's where I'm going to wind up, is where God wants me to be. And then lastly, number six, that is we can benefit from God's Word. There are benefits to following God's Word. And and, and likewise, there are detriments to not following God's Word. If we determine in our heart we're not going to choose Him, we're not going to pursue Him, we're not going to follow Him, we're not going to embrace His Word, there there are a lot of detrimental things that will happen to us in this life and in eternity. But do understand this. When you and I determine that we're going to follow God's Word and we're going to experience it in the way that the psalmist describes in just these three verses, that there are great benefits... (laughs) That will come. Notice the wording here, when you enlarge my heart. Now we have to be careful to make sure we, you know, we're, this is an English translation of Hebrew that was written a couple of thousand years ago. The, the phraseology doesn't always line up to what we think, but, but theologians are really good about telling us how to understand what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying in verse 32, the first part, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. It's, it's, those two things go together. He's saying, I'm going to be pursuing and running after you, and as a result, my heart will be enlarged. It's a physical picture, an illustration of what happens spiritually to us. So as I pursue and run after the things of God... I'm going to be enlarging my heart. It's a picture of, of having more capacity, more endurance, more knowledge, more, more, more uh, victory, more success in that. For example, if you determine, okay, I'm going to start jogging. I'm going to start running and I'm going to start getting healthy because I can't make it from here to the refrigerator to get a snack without getting winded. If that's your condition, you say, okay, I'm going to start exercising. So you start pursuing exercise, and before you know it, you can walk to the refrigerator. You can walk to the front door. You can walk out to get the the mail. You can walk out to get the newspaper. You can walk around the block, and you start building up your endurance. And over time, you recognize you can run for 100 yards. You can run for one lap around the track. You may even get to where you can run a, a 5K. That's about three miles or even more. But the journey to running a 5K, you don't just get up out of your chair And run a 5K if you can't even make it to the refrigerator. It's step by step by step by step. And what happens? You enjoy the physical benefits of that exercise. And the psalmist here is saying, as we pursue God, as we run after His commandments, His Word, and as we engage ourselves with it, as we experience His Word, what's going to happen is there's going to be a a spiritual growth. There's going to be a spiritual development. There's going to be a spiritual endurance. There's going to be a spiritual strength so that when the storms come and we're hanging on, we'll have that strength. When the difficulties of life come, when the temptations come, when all these things happen, we'll be ready. And the greatest benefit of all is it will have eternal life with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven forever and ever and ever. Martin Luther said this, The devil, the world, and our flesh are raging and raving against us. Therefore, pray, read, study, be diligent. Peter ended his second letter to believers with 2 Peter 3.18, which is a commitment and a commandment and an encouragement to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he ends with these words, To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think about your confidence in the Bible as God's Word, and I want you to think about your confidence with the Bible and you in using it for God's Word. And as you do, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to pray, just between you and the Lord, would you be willing to pray simply these, these statements? God, I choose your Word over all other sources of authority. Could you pray that this morning? God, I choose your Word over all other sources of authority. Could you pray, Lord, I prioritize your Word? Over all my other activities, I want to make your word my priority. Would you be able to pray, Lord, I hang on to your word. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to hang on. Would you be willing to pray this morning, Lord, I depend on the truth of your word to address any circumstance that comes my way? Would you be willing to pray this morning, Lord, I pursue your word? with passion. And Lord, I want to benefit from your word spiritually so that I might be with you in heaven and experience your blessing here on earth. Lord, lead us to pray and study and read and be diligent in the face of a world is raging against us and an enemy that is raging against us and our own self often raging against us may we determine to experience your word and gain the confidence that you give as we pray in jesus name amen i'm going to ask you to stand for me if you would and we're going to sing together wonderful words of life that's exactly what the bible is Wonderful words of life. And as we sing this song together, make it your personal time with the Lord to, to, to reacquaint and recommit and reenlist uh, with the Lord uh, your commitment to His Word, that His Word might follow and guide your life. Let's sing together. Bill, would you lead us?